you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those as we continue our study in the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 3, uh, the second half of the chapter. We started last week looking at this, and we said that this was Paul's final turn here. He starts off the chapter by saying, finally, and then he goes on for two more chapters, so he must have been Baptist, but um, we're going to look at the second half of the chapter this morning, and really break it down into a couple of different parts, but um, uh, Philippians chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning, and uh, we're going to dive right into it, so uh, hopefully you're there, uh, starting in verse 12, starting in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you again for this time where we can uh, just open your word and read it together and study it. God, to see what it says, and we recognize, Father, that this is your word given to us, and it carries the weight and authority as if you were here standing in our midst, speaking to us face to face. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would, again, soften our hearts and mold us and shape us into that which you would want us to be a believer and follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. I pray now that you would be uh, with me, speak through me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing unto you. God, use me as your mouthpiece to communicate your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to apologize a friend. I'm battling a little bit of a cold, and so if I sound stuffy or choked up uh, or have to take a sip of water, uh, I apologize. But uh, this morning, as we look at our passage, um, we're continuing on in, in this idea of uh, righteousness and, and of Christian living and what it looks like to do that. And, and last week, we really looked at uh, this, this pedigree of Paul, and, and he, he, he kind of names out this list of things, and he says that this is why I could be considered awesome. This is why I could be considered altogether. This is why I could have uh, what it looks like uh, a good way of living. But then he says that he forsakes all of that. He counts all of that as a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. You remember that? And so this week we're going to continue some of that uh, idea. And there's really two things. There's two ideas, two thoughts I want us to see in our passage this morning. Just two things. So if you're a note taker, it's really easy. The two things we want to look at this morning are this idea of faith and this idea of focus. Faith and focus this morning. So our first idea, faith. As we work through just these few verses from 12 to 16, there's, there's really three, uh, three points, three ideas, three things we want to look at as we consider faith that Paul has. And the first one is this, it's Paul's 
grasp, his grasp of his faith. Look again at verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Now, what is he talking about there? What's he referencing there? Well, if you go back again to last week's passage, he says this. He says that, uh, verse 7, whatever gain I had, meaning in verses 1 through 6, he lays out this pedigree, right? And he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And this is what he's looking for. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what he's seeking. That's what, he, that's what he's striving for. That's what Christian life is for Paul. But he says... In verse 12, he follows up with that, not that I have, now that I have already obtained this, right? Not that he's already done this. He's not there yet. See, he has a, a, a grasp, an understanding of his faith, of his spiritual life, of his walk. He recognizes that he's not there yet. And see, he has spent paragraph after paragraph after paragraph defining and bringing clarity to what the Christian life would look like, to what a life in Christ would look like. And he has said on repeat these two big ideas that we've looked at over and over again. He has said to live as Christ, right? You remember that? And he has said to be joyful. Like throughout this entire letter, Paul has resounded with live as Christ and be joyful. But here he says not that I have already attained this or am perfect. Now, this is, this is Paul. And like, if you're a student of the Bible, like, you know who Paul is. Like, not only does he give this, this uh, short pedigree in chapter 3, but like Paul, who has this extensive resume, right? He's been well-educated in the, the, the Jewish custom, right? He's, he, he even says himself, that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He is the, the poster child for what it means to be Jewish, right? He probably knew all the right answers. He paid attention in Sunday school, right? He was always the one who was called on, always the one who raised his hand first. He probably had his life pretty well put together. He was a successful businessman. He was a tent maker, he probably had uh, his life pretty well organized. Not only that, Paul devoted most of his adult life after Christ to being a missionary going around the entire region of, of the, the, the area he was in and spreading the gospel. He would come back to Antioch every now and again or then later to Jerusalem every now and again. But then for years and years and years would go out spreading the gospel around the known world. And so this is Paul. Paul saying, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet. In Romans 
7, he kind of gives another little indicator to this. Romans 7 in verse 15. Listen to what he confesses here. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. For now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to, uh, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. You see what he's saying here? Like Paul still wrestles. Paul still struggles. Paul still has some stuff to deal with. Tony Merida, uh, Merida would say that he's, he's not arrived yet. You maybe know some people that, that have that attitude about themselves that, oh, they have arrived, right? They have blossomed. They are, they've reached the, the pinnacle of what, whatever they're seeking looks like. See, Paul here isn't saying that about himself, although he probably could by that culture's standards. And isn't it a comfort to know that you and I sit in the company and we walk in the company of someone even like Paul. As I don't know about your life, but I know in my life, like I've not arrived yet. I have a lot of growing to do, a lot of yearning to, uh, of, to do, a lot of, of seeking to do. And Paul here confesses the same thing. He has an accurate grasp of his life. He understands what it takes to make the statement to live is Christ. Now, as we read through this section, Paul here is using, is, or is going to use, this illustration of running a race. In fact, if you remember several, several weeks ago, we talked about the, the two cultures that you're going to find here in Philippi are one that's got a military background. They're all soldiers or former soldiers and a lot of athletes. And so a lot of the the wording and, and the, the language that he uses in this letter would, would be um, geared towards what they would understand as soldiers or athletes. And he's, he's using this idea of running a race, of running a race. Anybody ever run track or, or run for fun, maybe? I don't know why you would. Uh, I've never ran for fun. Um, in fact, if you look at me, that's probably pretty obvious, right? Uh, I hate running. I, I really do. I, I hate running. Uh, I don't understand it. Uh, I believe the, the Bible is clear in Proverbs when it says that only a fool runs for no one who chases him. Just saying, it's in the Bible. But I have run uh, competitively one time in my life. In middle school, uh, I went out for the school track team. Now, back then, I played uh, a lot of sports. Uh, I was not this large, but I was, I was a Husky kid always in my life. Uh, but I had played soccer on and off in, in, in for seasons for about 10 years. I played basketball. I was starting to play baseball. And, uh, and I, was a, I was a fairly decent athlete. And so I thought, well, I'll go out for track. 
And as we were uh, going through the different events, the different uh, areas that you could uh, participate in in our track meet, uh, they needed volunteers to run both the 400 meter and the 800 meter. Now, I knew of myself that I was not a long, long distance runner. Like, that just wasn't going to happen. But the 400 is one lap around the track. The 800 is two laps around the track. I thought, well, I can accomplish that just fine. I'm a fairly decent athlete. I'll do that. And so I signed up for that. Now, again, 800 meters is two laps around the track. And so we would have our weekly workouts and our weekly practices, and, and I wouldn't take it all that seriously. I would show up and stretch a little and run a little, but I wasn't running real hard. I was just kind of seeking to accomplish the practice. And when, when it came time for the event, I showed up. It was a Saturday morning over at ECS, uh, over just down the road. I showed up. The whole school representation is there along with other schools in our area, and it came time for the, the 800 meter. And so I got in my starting place. I had stretched and, and, and loosened up a little bit. The gun went off. Boom, one lap just fine. I wasn't the fastest kid out there, but I was holding my own. And then it set in. And I got cramped up. I got tired. And I barely made it around the first turn of the second lap. And I looked up, because I tell you, just look forward, but I kind of get tunnel-visioned. You know, when you run, you kind of get tunnel-visioned. I looked around the track. I was the only one on the track. Everyone else was done. I didn't have a firm grasp of what it would take to run this race. I thought I could just show up and allow my own athleticism without real training, without real trying, without real workouts to just... Just kind of wing it and see what happens. I thought I had arrived, that I was able in my own uh, effort to do it. And I got to tell you, I almost didn't finish. In fact, I cramped up so bad on, on the straight of the, the opposite side of the track, not where the finish line was. I started walking. And I eventually stopped because I was literally crying at that point. I was so embarrassed. And I was so defeated that everyone had been done and was slugging water while I'm slugging air, right? And I could hear from the opposite side my coach telling me, keep going, finish. And so I did. And I remember on the last turn, as I could see the finish line, I just gave it all I had and sprinted with everything I had. And I finished and I crossed and I went and found my mom and blacked out in the field next to the track. But I was not, I didn't have a firm grasp, a firm understanding of what it takes. I thought I had arrived. I thought I was good enough, but I wasn't. Paul here is confessing he is not there yet. Church, understand that to make a statement, to live as Christ, to make a statement that Jesus is Lord, to make a statement that you are confessing your sins, making him savior of your life. Like that doesn't have a peak level. That doesn't have a plateau that you reach and then you're done. There's not a level of arrived and that's it. There's no sitting back and letting someone else have a turn. 
There's no, I'm done, I've reached it, it's time to retire. We don't enter or ever arrive. There's a constant run that we have to endure. It's not a quick sprint. It's a long distance run that we must be conditioned for and ready for and practiced for. But then the second thing we see here in this passage is Paul's goal. Paul's goal. Look again there at 12 and 13. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We see his goal, and there's, there's two elements to his goal. There's his determination and there's his demeanor. There's his determination in that it's personal to him. I want this, right? He uses this language. I press on to make it my own, right? He longs to, to know this, to have this, this made personal to him. Is your faith personal to you this morning? Like, do you long to know Jesus personally? Or is it just maybe something that you grew up with in your home or somebody shared something with you? Maybe it's fire insurance because hell sounds like a, a kind of a bad place and heaven sounds like it's a lot better place. Do you long to know Jesus personally? Are you determined to know him personally? But then his demeanor, it's progressive. It's ongoing. It's not just a one and done thing. He says, again, he's not already obtained this. He longs to make it his own. And then in verse 13, he says, but not that I've made it my own yet. Like I still have more to gain, to, to accomplish, to, to discover before I make it my own. And then he says this phrase. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. Now, although I, I hate running, I do know the health benefits of it. And I've dabbled in running here and there over the last several years. And what I've discovered is I wasn't very good at first. It's painful to run. It hurts to run. It's hard to run. Running requires a massive amount of intentionality of concentration, and most importantly, of discipline. And you know that's true if you've ever run or you've ever participated in any sort of athletics. Like, you're not just going to wing it and do it. You have to be concentrated and disciplined and intentional. And when I did, uh, when I wasn't, uh, I'm sorry, and what I did uh, outside of running affected my running. Like, if I ate a poor diet... I wasn't going to succeed very well in running. If I didn't work out, if I didn't stretch my muscles, if I didn't practice, I wasn't going to have any gains in running. But see, I had a goal, and I wanted to stick to that goal. And it wasn't easy. And I confess there are days when I slacked off. 
There were days when I didn't work as hard as I could have, many days where I made excuses. But ultimately, as I ran, I found that the hard work became easier. The self-discipline became more normalized. The concentration became more of a permanent mindset. You see where I'm going with this? You know what was happening? As I was forgetting what was behind. One commentator, O'Brien, says this about Paul. He will not allow either the achievements of the past or, for that matter, his failures as a Christian prevent his gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. In this sense, he forgets as he runs. See, if you're having struggles, if you're having a hard time, if you're, if you're, if you're having some difficulty in your Christian life, like you have two options. You could stop, give up, and dwell on the past, dwell on what's afflicting you, dwell on what's difficult, or you keep running. You keep going. You keep striving. You keep pushing yourself because that's how you get better. It's in the running where the forgetting happens. But we have to start. Paul here, again, notice the phrase. He says, one thing I do. Just one thing. We live in a culture today that, that loves a, a, a magic bullet uh, recipe. Or we love a quick fix or a, a four easy step process. Well, Paul here has just one step. One quick fix, one thing, he says, one thing to do. What is that one thing? To keep running, to press on, to strive, to keep going in the faith, to seek Jesus with all that you have. See, Paul here says, are you hung up on your past? Start running and forget about it. Are you hung up on the present? Start running and forget about it. Have you experienced some aches and pains along the way? Start running and forget about it. Have you experienced some hard and difficult times, some trials, some circumstances? Start running and forget about it. You think you've arrived? You think you've accomplished something? Keep running and forget about it. You think you, you're, you're good enough? Keep running and forget about it. Maybe this is you. You're not sure that you believe in all of this Jesus stuff? You're not sure if this is true, if this is really worth it? Friend, I encourage you to start running. Start running towards Jesus with all that you have. And I promise you, you'll begin to forget about it. C.J. Mahaney says this, talking about the one thing. He says, what one change could you make in order to pursue the one thing that matters most? What one change in your life? What is one area of your life, a change you could make in order to pursue the one thing that matters most? Again, Tony Moretta would add this. He says, negatively stated, what sin or habit or activity could you throw off in order to run the race better? What sin is holding you back from running? Or positively, what could you begin doing that you aren't 
doing now? Maybe you've never thought of this before, or at least heard it expressed this way. I don't know that I have until really studying this passage. I want to ask you a question this morning. What's your goal in trusting in Jesus? What's the goal for your life in trusting in Jesus? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Maybe ask it this way, like, what motivated you to do that? Why did you do that? What's the end game in confessing that you're a sinner in need of a savior? What's your goal? Paul here gives us his goal. We read it just a moment ago. But in verse 9, he again says, sorry, actually, the last sentence of 8, he says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that now depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, he expresses this way back in chapter 1. We've said it all along, week after week, that to live is Christ. That's his goal. That it's all about Jesus. I hope that's our goal. I hope that's your goal. His third thing, Paul's guide, his guide. Look there in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Back in verse 12, he, he, he also reiterates it in a similar way. He says, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And the, the, the Christian standard uh, uh, translation, he, it states it like this. It says that I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. You hear what Paul is saying there, that what guides him, what motivates him, what's pushing him along, what's giving him the strength to keep going? It's, it's this idea that he's been taken hold of Jesus Christ. Like, he's not just making this up on his own. He's not just doing this because he has nothing else to do. Jesus has taken hold of him. And so because Jesus has taken hold of him, he wants to take hold of Jesus. Like, he wants to pursue Jesus. Here in 14, he says, not only has Jesus taken hold of my life, but he's given me a heavenly calling. Literally, God has given him a calling toward heaven. That's how the original language reads it. Like one day, one day, he will experience Jesus personally, face to face. And more importantly, more importantly, he has the opportunity to invite others to experience that very same thing. He says that Jesus 
has already taken a hold of me. His hands are holding me. The hands that once held onto the nails for my sin now hold on to my life. Psalm 63, 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm 139, 10. Even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Isaiah 41. We read this a few weeks ago. The writer says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then in verse 13, he says, for I am the Lord your God. I hold you with my right hand, and I say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Church, do you realize that God holds us. For those of us that are called into his kingdom, when we have confessed our sins, he holds us in his hand. Why would we not know or want to know him personally? Why would we not want to seek after the one who holds us? See, our guide, like Paul, is in this, that Jesus loves us, that he holds us, and that he does not let us go. He does not let us go. And that one day we will get to see him face to face and be in his presence. And that is enough. That is enough. That is the the most wonderful guide you could ever hope for in running a race. The second thing we wanted to look at, though, is focus. Is focus. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This phrase, mature who think, uh, those of us who are mature think this way. The Greek word he uses here for mature is the same Greek word he uses for perfect in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. And so he's, he's kind of casting this idea that if you think of yourself as mature or perfect, then really you should realize that you're not actually mature or perfect. Like if you would consider yourself mature in the faith, If you would call yourself perfect in faith and understanding, recognize that you're not. That's what he's saying here. But then he also says that God will reveal it. You see, sometimes we can have trouble seeing certain areas of our life. Sometimes we might consider ourselves uh, more perfect or more arrived, more mature, or, or maybe we just don't understand. He says, be encouraged here because God will reveal that. But then he also gives encouragement in verse 16. He says, let us only hold true to what we have attained. Well, what is it that we've attained? What do we have? We have God's word. That's what we've attained. We have his word. So only let us hold true to that. Only let us 
believe in that. Only let us work in that. So again, he's talking to athletes. Athletes have to work out to get better. Like you're not going to get better as an athlete by doing nothing or doing the bare minimum. You have to work out to get better. They train. And when they train, they usually don't just make it up as they go. Now, I guess you could walk into a gym and just start exercising on different machines, and at some point, you'll increase. But it's so much better to have a plan, to have a a method, to have a tool to use, a guide to use. And so they do. And when they do, they hold to that guide, and they build upon that guide, and they get better. The same thing applies to us. How do we hold to what we attained? We've attained God's word. And so we must hold to it. We must use it as our guide to grow and to build and to become better believers and followers of Jesus Christ. But if we're not reading his word, if we're not studying his word, if we're not immersing ourselves in his word, then we're not going to grow. We're not going to gain. We're not going to become better. If we're going to run the race, we must use the instructions to grow so that we can run better, so that we can run harder, so that we can strive more. We must read it and apply it. See, really, we we undermine the training and we undermine and miss the benefits when we don't follow what it says. Like, imagine again if you're if you're training, if you're working out, if you're trying to run something, if you're, if you're working out to, to be able to run a 5K, but during the week when you're not running, you're eating a bunch of junk food, you're drinking a lot of garbage, you're not really moving much. When you run in your practice runs, you're, you're not really running hard, you're just kind of light jogging or walking. Like, are you going to accomplish what you seek to accomplish? Of course not, because you're undermining, you're losing the benefit of that practice time. When we don't do what God's word says, we undermine the benefit of his word. We miss out on what it has for us. We have to start somewhere. We hold fast to what we know. As we look forward to next week, he's going to say this in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You know, as we look at this idea of running, as we look at this idea of striving, we've said this time and time again throughout this series, the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. That running a race, although could be done by yourself, is a lot easier to do with someone else. Right? Working out is a lot easier to do in community than it is by yourself. You have a workout buddy. 
right? You have a run, buddy. The Christian life works the exact same way. If you are not plugging into the community of faith, if you are not immersing yourself into the community of faith, if you're trying to run this race alone, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're missing the benefit of being a part of the body. We need people to help us and to bring us along. We're going to look at that next week as we consider how we run and who we run with. But I want to encourage you as we close this morning, what is your goal? I want to challenge you to think this week on what is your goal in the Christian life? Like, what are you seeking? Is it just an easy life? Is it a life in which God just blesses you abundantly and you put forth no effort into a Christian life of telling others about him? Or are you maybe hung up on some difficulties, some, some hardships, some circumstances? And Paul would say, keep running and forget about it. Because it is in the running, in the striving, in the pushing forward that you forget and you see Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for, again, this time. Father, thank you for your word and the challenge of it and the encouragement of it. Father, thank you that even in a person like Paul, who we would esteem very highly as someone who seems to have his life put together, Father, just the, the way in which he lived, Father, sets a, such a model, an example of what it looks like to live in Christ. And yet he says that, that he's not arrived yet. He's not there yet. He has more to learn, has more to grow in. God, so do we. And I pray this morning, Father, that we would, God, that we would grow in you. God, that we would give you our all, that if we're not currently running, that we would start somewhere to run. God, if we're not seeking after you, if we're not striving after you, if we're getting hung up on things of our life, God, that we would just start running. We would start pursuing you. We would start pursuing uh, the, the, the fellowship with you. And that we would forget what is behind. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for the ability to even forget. Thank you for your mercy that pulls us along. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.